Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. As always on Sound Reasoning, we try to educate, train, and empower believers in sound doctrine that we may be able to refute those teachings that are against the Word of God. And every now and then, the uh, Spirit of God leads me to invite someone to the show that I think would be of benefit for us that are listening and for those uh, that may be listening on podcasts. And today I'm so grateful and thankful to God that we are able to have one of my mentors in apologetics, uh, Dr. J.P. Moreland, who is uh, the Distinguished Professor of Philosophy at Talbot School of Theology, uh, which is an extension of Biola University. And Dr. Moreland uh, wrote a book some years back entitled Christianity and the Nature of Science. So, Dr. Moreland, welcome to Sound Reasoning. Well, Perseus, my brother, it's always good to hear from you and to be with you. We thank you so much uh, for being on the show and for the hard work that you uh, did on this research dealing with Christianity and science. So there's a few questions that uh, I just wanted to ask for the benefit of myself as well as our listeners. Uh, What was the impetus or the reason behind Uh, you writing this book dealing with Christianity and the nature of science. Well, Perseus, there's a myth going around uh, in our country. It is a myth. Uh, It's kind of like in the 1950s, people thought, doctors thought cigarette smoking was good for your health. Well, that was a myth. It wasn't true. And today the myth is that science is the only way that we have to know reality. Mm. Uh, If you can uh, test something scientifically in the laboratory, right, and measure it, then you can know it one way or the other, like you can know water's H2O. But when it comes to morality or religious claims like uh, that God exists or Christ rose from the dead, the idea is that since these aren't scientific claims, you can't know one way or the other whether they're true, and so you can have blind faith if you want to, but nobody knows who's right. Nobody can tell if the Hindu's right or the Christian or the atheist. Uh, it's just anybody's guess, and I, and I don't believe that. I believe that science is a wonderful way of knowing, but I believe that there are other ways of knowing reality and uh, theology and uh, uh, the testimony of the Holy Spirit and so on are, are ways of knowing reality, too. So I wanted to clear up that myth. Great. So since you wrote the book in the late 80s, has things, in your opinion, has the situation gotten worse in terms of this view of uh, uh, naturalism and, and humanism that you're talking about, yeah, or scientism? that's a good question. Um, I, I think I've got good and bad news. I mean, I think the bad news is that there are more secular people today than there were 10 or 15 years ago. Mm. Uh, I think there's a growing secular population, and there are a lot of atheists that are now becoming kind of loudmouths and, and really becoming vocal. Right. But the good news is that... Uh, Christian apologetics has been growing so rapidly, and the 
arguments and evidence for Christianity have become stronger and stronger that I think some of these atheists are threatened, and that's why they're shouting and, right. and getting loud. And so I, I'm actually optimistic. I think shows like yours are all over the country now, and uh, you've heard of the intelligent design movement, yes, which is an attempt to show that the scientific evidence really points towards God rather than away from Him. I think that movement has been gaining strength. So I'm, I'm encouraged. We've got a lot of work to do, but I'm encouraged. Great. Thank you for that. Now, we hear the term science, yes. and uh, you wrote in your book about the perception of science and how uh, those that are uh, consumed with uh, quantifiable data yes. uh, or those who look through the world through a scientific worldview alone, uh, how, how they approach this definition. So in, in your words, how should we as Christians de- uh, define science? Well, that's a great question, uh, Perseus. I mean, uh, it's kind of like trying to, find, to define what is a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, boy, good luck on that one. <laughs> I mean, there's Monopoly, there's football. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it'd be pretty tough. And the same thing is true with science. I think philosophers of science are agreed that there really is no such thing as a definition of science. Mm. And the reason is because physicists do one thing, uh, biologists do something different, archaeologists, geologists, psychologists, sociologists, all do different things. Um, and so it's hard to come up with a, just an airtight definition. But I think if we, if we tried to give one, I think that about as good as you could do would be to say it's, it's an attempt to gain truths about the observable world mm-hmm. by forming and testing hypotheses. So it's an attempt to gain knowledge about the observable world by forming and testing hypotheses. But may I say something? Sure. Uh, Christians can do the same thing. For example, uh, if we can form a hypothesis that if you pray in certain ways, like if mm-hmm. you pray in faith and if you pray sincerely and earnestly and you're not being selfish, and you're trying to lead a godly life, that you'll see more answers to prayer than a person who's playing games with Christianity, That's true. who's uh, an adulterer while he, he's, you know, supposedly living out his faith. Right. And I think we would make a prediction that those people walking with the Lord would see more good in their lives and more answers to prayer and more health than the other. And I think that can be tested, and it has been. And uh, people, generally speaking, who live, who, who go to church regularly, who, who seek sincerely uh, the teachings of Jesus and so on, they have better health, uh, their marriages are stronger. Uh, this has been, I mean, this has been demonstrated, and I think they see more of their prayers answered. So it's not like religion can't be tested either. I mean, uh, both can be tested in different ways. That's true. In your book, you use the term honorific view of science. Yes. What is that? Oh, boy. Well, I mean, all you have to do is say, science says, and uh, that's supposed to end the conversation. (laughs) So if science says that homosexuality is completely determined by your genes, well, that's all there is to it. That's it. end End of discussion. Because... Science is at the top of the pile here, right. and we, we, we have to honor it because it's the, it's the king of the hill. 
Well, with all due respect, I mean, I'm grateful for science, believe right. me. I'm glad the doctor... I, if you've seen how people used to go to the dentist 300 years ago, I'm really glad for right. <laughs> modern dentistry. Right. But, but science is, is, like I said, it's a way of knowing. But there are, no, there are other ways of knowing. For example, there's moral knowledge. I mean, I know darn well that being kind and honest is better than being a, a selfish, a vicious, arrogant, angry person. Right. Right? I mean, is, is there any real question about that? And I also believe it's self-evident that homosexuality is wrong. Right. So uh, uh, no matter what science says about it, I know better because my moral knowledge trumps my, the scientific claims. So I don't believe this honorific view that science is just the, the biggest, the cat's meow and everybody else has to cow down to science. So that leads me to a question that I've had for a while in terms of, uh, you use the statement, science says this, so we have to bow down to science. Right. In many ways, uh, is it really a subjective uh, method in terms of we know that in many ways science is consistent, yes. it's regular, and because of that we're able to deduce certain facts sure. from the laws of science. Sure. But isn't it also true that a lot of the facts or data is subjective in a sense that two people can look at the same uh, data and come up with two different conclusions. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this happens often. Look at the global warming controversy. Uh, you have some of the top scientists in the world saying that there is no man-made global warming, and you have other scientists look at the same data and say there is. Mm. Um, uh, so there's there's absolutely no doubt about that. Uh, and, and sometimes scientists you know, the truth is science doesn't say anything. Scientists do. And, and a lot of times, scientists say things that are outside their field. Right. Uh, so when a scientist starts pontificating about what's right and wrong, uh, and we ought to do this, and we, sh- we should do this with the environment, and this, that, and the other, he's not speaking as a scientist any longer. He's speaking as a citizen. And he has no more insight about that than, than, than uh, anybody else. And so... I think that one of the ways that science can be subjective, like you pointed out, that's one way. Two people can see the same data. This happens often, not always, but it happens mm-hmm. a lot of times. But the other way is that many times scientists speak out of their field. They're, they're, they say things, uh, but, but they're not speaking in their area of expertise. Right, right. Um, I appreciate that. It reminds me of uh, the... Uh, Stephen Hawkins uh, quote that we hear often, which is uh, people are now saying, well, Stephen Hawkins is saying that the universe came into being through the laws of nature. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Right. So, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I appreciate that you are definitely right. Well, first of all, where the laws of nature come from? And, and secondly, the laws of nature can't operate on nothing. Right. You've already got to have a universe before the laws of nature have something to work on. Right. You know, like, like if you increase the pressure of a gas in a pressure cooker, I mean, if you increase the temperature, it's going to increase the pressure, right? Right. Well, that law wouldn't apply if there, if there wasn't anything in existence. There would just be nothing for the law to apply to. Right. So the laws of nature can't bring something into existence 
all they can do is control things once they're in existence. Right, right. Yeah, so Hawk, so the, pro, so the bottom line is, you're, you, that was an example of a, of a brilliant scientist speaking completely out of his field. He was speaking philosophy and metaphysics, for which he has absolutely no training. And his statement was ridiculous, but when he speaks in his area of expertise, that's fine. Sure. But, but uh, you know, that, that's the problem. So in a sense, science has its limitations. Oh, my goodness, absolutely. Great. So what is the scientific method that you speak of in the book? Well, there are many, many different scientific methods. Uh, um, and one of the things I've learned is that there is no such thing as the scientific method. There mm-hmm. are a whole bunch of methods. And so, for example, a psychologist will use one method in trying to develop a, a theory about what's wrong with a patient. Okay. Uh, a medical doctor may use a different method in trying to assess is this cancer and, and where is it. A physicist who's uh, uh, got a particle accelerator and is trying to discover things about subatomic particles will use a different method. Um, archaeologists, one dirty dig after another, as one of my friends said, um, <laughs> they, they use a different method. And so there are all these methods that are used in different areas of science and, uh, you know, like I said, the best thing to do is to say, generally speaking, they, they start with a problem they're trying to solve. They formulate a hypothesis that's kind of a guess. Mm-hmm. And then they try to test the hypothesis by gathering more data and information to see if the hypothesis holds up. Now, that's what they often do, but not what they always do. Right. So that leads me to uh, my other question, and that's, this whole view of how to deal with science. Yeah. There, there are those who have a worldview that uh, science completely consumes yes. uh, faith. Yes. So then science almost becomes like a god. Yes. Then there are those who believe that science and faith ought to be uh, totally divested and divorced yes. from one another and Neither disciplines ought to touch one another. Right, that's you're right. That that's right. And then there, there's the final one, uh, which I think most Christians should fall into, and that's uh, uh, faith and reason and science share commonalities based on what what's going on at at, at that particular absolutely. time. Can you elaborate on that? Oh, absolutely. You're you're dead right. Um, yeah. Um, first of all, uh, Christianity embraces reason in a. Here's my definition of faith. Faith is trusting what we have good reason to believe is true. <laughs> so, so faith is trusting what we have reason to believe is true. And so faith builds on reason, and they're not, they're not opposed to one another. So the Christian religion is a religion of reason and faith building. On. Faith isn't a blind step in the dark. It's based on what we have good reason to think is true. When you preach... Uh, I hope that you have some reasons for thinking that you're representing what the passage says, rather than just saying anything you want to about the passage. Right. Well, um, sometimes science and religion make claims about the same thing. Example, the origin of the universe. Right. Some scientific theories used to say that the universe didn't begin. Uh, one was called the oscillating, uh, the steady-state model of the universe that the universe has been here forever, it never began. Mm -hmm. Well, theology says, well, hold it just a minute, there was a beginning to the universe. Well, recent science has confirmed that, in fact, the universe did have a beginning. 
sociology was right, and those older scientific theories were false, and the new scientific theories are true. Uh, that's where re religion and science harmonize. Uh, there are other occasions where a, a scientist will say there's no soul, mm -hmm. but theology says there is, and there's a conflict. And so you have to weigh the evidence and look at it. But, but you're absolutely right. Um, my, here's my view. 95% of what science says has nothing to do with Christianity. <laughs> I mean, I don't care if water's H2O or H5O, to be honest with you. Uh, it's not going to change my view of Jesus Christ one way or the other. Right. Um, so 95% of the stuff that science does, I thank God for it, but I'm just uninterested in it. 5% of science does interact with Christianity, and in my view, about 2% of that tends to count against Christianity, and about 3% counts for it. So, for example, scientists have discovered the beginning of the universe. They've discovered that the universe was very, very delicately balanced so that life could appear. And these are all discoveries that are favorable to a Christian view of the world. Certain things about evolution, uh, I'll grant you, tend to count against science. Now, what do we do with that? Well, I don't throw up my hands and say, oh, my gosh, I'm wrong. What I do is and say, well, we've got a problem here. Let's work on it. Right. Right. Appreciate that. Uh, we are with Dr. J.P. Moreland as we talk about uh, Christianity and science. So as far as Christians are concerned, how should we deal with a society that basically promotes science as, as almost a demigod? Yeah, exactly. And, and I'm asking that because even as a personal testimony, when my wife and I were trying to conceive for the first time, yes. we sat in front of... Um, of a doctor and whose field was uh, uh, infertility. Yes. And he prescribed us three or four ways for us to conceive. Yes. And uh, when my wife and I discussed it, there was only maybe one or two of them that we as Christians were comfortable yeah, with. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah. so uh, we decided to reject the other right. steps because no, that's right. For me, it conflicted with my faith. That's absolutely right. So, I, I, that's, that's the way to do it. So how should we uh, respond to uh, this, this deification of science as, well, as, as residents and citizens? Right. I, I have found that, you, that we need to make people get specific. So people say, oh, science has shown religion is ridiculous. What I will say, okay, well, I'm, I'm curious, would you, could you give me a specific example of how that's happened? And, you know, there's precious little... Uh, that, you know, they might cite the theory of evolution. But, but, you know, there are legitimate problems that can be said about that theory. <laughs> so I guess I would just say, um, make them prove their case, and then we should be prepared to say just a couple of things. Like, number one, science has pretty much shown the universe came into existence out of nothing, mm -hmm. and, and, and that's what the Bible teaches is that God created the universe out of nothing, and so science helps there. And, and then what do you do about the resurrection of Jesus? I mean, did you know there's historical evidence for that? And, and uh, that's not scientific evidence, but it's history. It's historical evidence. What do you do about that? And uh, then and share your testimony and things of that sort. Excellent. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, we only have a couple of minutes left, but... Uh, Dr. Moreland, what would be your um, suggestion in terms of how uh, we as Christians um, 
can give evidence or arguments to support our belief that you can be a Christian and still be rational and still practice yes. logic? Yes. Well, number one, not everybody is called to the same kind of ministry. Uh, we have people that work uh, with the poor and among the homeless. Uh, we have people that deal with broken marriages. And then there are others of us that deal with kind of these reasons that are brought against our faith. So my view is that while not everybody uh, needs to, do, to be some great apologist, right. everybody ought to care that we have apologists and should support them financially. Right. Because it's important for the whole church that somebody does this. Right. And so we ought to know who's doing it and, and, and give a little bit to them and help them out. The second thing I would say is that at least everybody could get, get a little better. I mean, even the person that just worked with broken marriages could listen to some CDs once in a while. They could tune into a show like yours. I mean, is that going to take them all day? No, they could, but they could form the habit of listening to your show and other shows, uh, maybe read a book now and then, listen to some CDs, and just get a little bit more informed than they are. And, that, and uh, they don't have to become more of an expert like you are, but, but they could at least improve their game a little bit. Amen. Thank you for those words of wisdom. And, and Dr. Moreland, as always, I thank you so much for sharing your wealth of information. And our listeners, I know, have been edified by this dialogue. Well, my friend, it's always good to hear from you, brother. So I will be in touch, and you have a great evening. All right, my friend. God bless. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy message as has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. Finding uplifting news in today's headlines is often like searching for a needle in a haystack. At the Story Behind podcast, we believe in the power of finding heartwarming tales and are happy to share empowering stories with you every week. Hear about how Steve Harvey surprised a dying man on Family Feud with $25,000. Get inspired by the note a waitress received from a patron dining alone. And even hear about how one VIP passenger made a hardworking pilot get emotional before his flight. To start listening to the Story Behind podcast, visit lifeaudio.com or search Story Behind on your favorite podcast platform.